PTJ podcasts are made possible by the American Physical Therapy Association. Physical therapists diagnose and treat people of all ages with all types of health conditions to help keep them moving and functioning in daily life. Welcome to this PTJ podcast. PTJ is the official publication of the American Physical Therapy Association. PTJ disseminates basic and applied science related to physical therapy, contributes evidence to guide clinical decision-making, and publishes scholarly perspectives from around the world. And now, your host, Donovan Stutel. Welcome to PTJ's Audio Abstracts podcast for Volume 89, June 2009. This month's research reports focus on Effects of Forced Use on Arm Function After Stroke Validity and Reliability of the Continuing Care Activity Measure Updating Clinical Practice for Patients with Stroke Reliability and Validity of Outcome Measures for Alzheimer's Disease Clinometric Properties of the Lower Extremity Functional Scale and Computerized Adaptive Testing of Activity in Children with Cerebral Palsy This month's case report focuses on Training of Walking Skills in Incomplete Spinal Cord Injury. PTJ is now on Twitter. Go online to twitter.com slash ptjournal and sign up to receive notices of new PTJ content and updates on PTJ-related activities on your own Twitter page or on your mobile phone. Clinical summaries, invited commentaries, e-letters to the editor, online-only features to articles, bottom-line clinical summaries, and the Bottom Line Podcast are all available at www.ptjournal.org. First this month, Effects of Forced Use on Arm Function in the Subacute Phase After Stroke, a Randomized Clinical Pilot Study, by Anne Hammer and Dr. Birgetta Lindmark. This abstract is presented by Dave Corvoisier. Following stroke, it is common to exhibit motor impairments and decreased use of the upper limb. The objective of the present study was to evaluate forced use on arm function during the subacute phase after stroke. A comparison of standard rehabilitation only and standard rehabilitation together with a restraining sling was made through a randomized non-blinded clinical pilot trial. Assessments were made before intervention, after intervention, and at one-month and three-month follow-ups. The study took place at the Departments of Rehabilitation Medicine, Geriatrics, and Neurology at a university hospital. A convenience sample of 30 participants whose stroke occurred one to six months before the start of the study was randomized into two groups, a forced-use group and a standard training group. Each group contained 15 participants. 26 participants completed the three-month follow-up. All participants received their standard rehabilitation program with training five days per week for two weeks as inpatients or outpatients. The forced use group also wore a restraining sling on the non-paretic arm with a target of six hours per day. Measurements were obtained using the Fugelmeyer test, the Action Research Arm Test, the Motor Assessment Scale, a 16-hole peg test, a grip strength ratio of the paretic hand to the non-paretic hand, and the modified Ashworth scale. The changes in the forced use group did not differ from the changes in the standard training group for any of the outcome measures. Both groups improved over time 
with statistically significant changes in the Fugelmeyer test score, the motor assessment scale score, the 16-hole peg test time, and grip strength ratio. The limitations of this pilot study include an extended study time, a non-blinded assessor, a lack of control of treatment content, and a small sample size. The results of this pilot study did not support forced use as a reinforcement of standard rehabilitation in the subacute phase after stroke. Forced use did not generate greater improvements with regard to motor impairment and capacity than standard rehabilitation alone. The findings of this effectiveness study will be used to help design future clinical trials with the aim of revealing a definitive conclusion regarding the clinical implementation of forced use for upper limb rehabilitation. Two invited commentaries, the first by Dr. James Kura and Dr. Jeffrey Summers, and the second by Dr. Jean Charles, as well as a bottom line for this article, are available both in print and online. Lead author Anne Hammer is a doctoral student in the Department of Rehabilitation Medicine at Oribro University Hospital and in the School of Health and Medical Sciences at Oribro University, both in Oribro, Sweden. Next, Standardization of the Continuing Care Activity Measure, a multicenter study to assess reliability, validity, and ability to measure change. By Dr. Maria Habrex, Dr. Gary Tier. Carolyn McCullough, Teresa Kay, Dr. David Streiner, Steve Wong, Sarah McEwen, and Ingrid Otten. There is a lack of standardized mobility measures specific to the long-term care population. Therefore, the continuing care activity measure was developed. The study determined the levels of reliability, validity for clinical utilization, and the sensitivity to change of this measure. This was a prospective longitudinal cohort study among elderly people with primarily physical or medical impairments. Participants were residing in long-term care institutions that provide nursing home and more complex care with access to physical therapy services. Clinical and research physical therapists administered the following measures. The continuing care activity measure, the clinical outcome variables scale, the social engagement scale of the resident assessment instrument, minimum data set 2.0 instrument, and the resource utilization groups version 3. The timing of administration of these measures was dictated by the study purpose. The participants were 136 residents of long-term care institutions and 21 physical therapists. The intra-class correlation coefficient for inter-rater reliability of the continuing care activity measure was 0.97, and the intra-class correlation coefficient for test-retest reliability of the continuing care activity measure over a period of one week was 0.99. Over six months, the absolute change in total score was 5.88 for the continuing care activity measure and 4.26 for the clinical outcome variables scale. The continuing care activity measure was 28% more responsive across all participants and 68% more responsive for the 49 participants scoring in the lower half. The minimal detectable difference of the continuing care activity measure was 8.6 across all participants. The continuing care activity measure correlated with the clinical outcome variables scale, nursing care hours inferred from the resource utilization groups version 3, 
and the social engagement scale. A limitation of this study was that some participants were lost to follow-up. The continuing care activity measure is a reliable and valid tool to measure gross motor function and physical mobility for elderly people in long-term care institutions. It discriminates among functional levels, measures individual functional change, and can contribute to clinical decision-making. An e-appendix for this article is available online at www.ptjournal.org. Lead author Dr. Maria Habrex is Director of Quality, Risk, and Patient Safety at the Baycrest Center for Geriatric Care and Assistant Professor in the Department of Physical Therapy at the University of Toronto, both in Toronto, Ontario, Canada. Physical Therapists' Experiences Updating the Clinical Management of Walking Rehabilitation After Stroke, a Qualitative Study, by Dr. Nancy Salbach, Paula Veneau, Dr. Susan Rappolt, Dr. Mark Bailey, Dr. Don Burnett, Maria Judd, and Dr. Susan Jaglal. Little is known about physical therapists' experiences using research evidence to improve the delivery of stroke rehabilitation. The purpose of this study was to explore how physical therapists use research evidence to update the clinical management of walking rehabilitation after stroke. The study had three specific objectives. One, to identify physical therapists' clinical questions related to walking rehabilitation. Two, to identify the sources of information that physical therapists sought to address these questions. And three, to identify factors influencing the incorporation of research evidence into practice. Two authors conducted in-depth telephone interviews with 23 physical therapists who treat people with stroke and who had participated in a previous survey on evidence-based practice. Data were analyzed with a constant comparative approach to identify emerging themes. Therapists commonly raised questions about the selection of treatments or outcome measures. They relied foremost on peers for information because of their availability, ease of access, and minimal cost. Participants sought information from research literature themselves or with the help of librarians or students. Research syntheses, such as systematic reviews, enabled access to a body of research. Older therapists described insufficient computer and search skills. Most participants considered appraisal, and application of research findings challenging and identified insufficient time and peer isolation as organizational barriers to the use of research. Physical therapists require efficient access to research syntheses, primarily to inform the measurement and treatment of walking limitation after stroke. Continuing education is needed to enhance skills in appraising research findings and applying them to practice. Older therapists require additional training to develop computer and search skills. Peer networks and student internships may optimize the exchange of new knowledge for therapists working in isolation. A bottom line for this article is available online. Lead author Dr. Nancy Salbach 
is Assistant Professor and Heart and Stroke Foundation of Ontario Clinician Scientist in the Department of Physical Therapy in the Faculty of Medicine at the University of Toronto in Toronto, Ontario, Canada. Next, test retest reliability and minimal detectable change scores for the timed up and go test, the six minute walk test, and gait speed in people with Alzheimer's disease. By Dr. Julie Reese, Dr. John Ekternak, Dr. Leah Knopf, and Dr. Michelle Gagnon Blodgett. With the increasing incidence of Alzheimer's disease, determining the validity and reliability of outcome measures for people with this disease is necessary. The goals of this study were to assess the test retest reliability of data for the timed up and go test, the six minute walk test, and gait speed, and to calculate minimal detectable change scores for each outcome measure. The researchers studied performance differences between groups with mild to moderate Alzheimer's disease and moderately severe to severe Alzheimer's disease. Severity was determined by the Functional Assessment Staging Scale. This was a prospective, non-experimental, descriptive methodological study. Background data collected for 51 people with Alzheimer's disease included use of an assistive device, mini-mental status examination scores, and functional assessment staging scale scores. Each participant engaged in two test sessions separated by a 30-minute to 60-minute rest period, which included two timed up-and-go test trials, one six-minute walk test trial, and two gait speed trials using a computerized gait assessment system. A specific queuing protocol was followed to achieve optimal performance during test sessions. Test-retest reliability values for the timed up-and-go test, the six-minute walk test, and gait speed were high for all participants together, and for the group with mild to moderate Alzheimer's disease and the group with moderately severe to severe Alzheimer's disease separately. However, individual variability of performance also was high. Calculated minimal detectable change scores at the 90% confidence interval were 4.09 seconds for the timed up-and-go test, 33.5 meters for the 6-minute walk test, and 9.4 centimeters per second for gait speed. The two groups were significantly different in performance of clinical tests, with the participants who were more cognitively impaired being more physically and functionally impaired. A limitation of the study was that a single researcher collected data. This limited the sample size and prohibited blinding to dementia level. The timed up-and-go test, the six-minute walk test, and gait speed are reliable outcome measures for use with people with Alzheimer's disease, recognizing that individual variability of performance is high. Minimal detectable change scores at the 90% confidence interval can be used to assess change in performance over time and the impact of treatment. A bottom line for this article is available online. Lead author Dr. Julie Reese is assistant professor in the program in physical therapy at Marymount University in Arlington, Virginia. The lower extremity functional scale has good clinometric properties in people with ankle fracture. By Dr. Chung Wei, Christine Lin, Dr. Ann Mosley, 
Dr. Catherine Refshauga, and Dr. Anita Bundy. There is limited information on the clinometric properties of questionnaires of activity limitation in people after ankle fracture. The purpose of this study was to investigate the clinometric properties of the lower extremity functional scale, an activity limitation questionnaire, in people with ankle fracture. This was a measurement study using data collected from two previous randomized controlled trials and one inception cohort study. 306 participants with ankle fracture were recruited within seven days of cast removal. Data were collected at baseline and at short-term and medium-term follow-ups. Internal consistency and construct validity were assessed using Roche analysis. Concurrent validity, responsiveness, and floor and ceiling effects were evaluated. The lower extremity functional scale demonstrated high internal consistency. The variance in activity limitation explained by the items was high, 98.3%. Each item had a positive correlation with the overall scale, and most items supported the unidimensionality of the scale. These findings suggest that the scale has high internal consistency and construct validity. The scale also demonstrated high concurrent validity and responsiveness in the short term and no floor or ceiling effects. However, the scale would benefit from more challenging items, as evident at the medium-term follow-up. A limitation of this study was that this was a secondary analysis of existing data sets. The lower extremity functional scale is a useful tool to monitor activity limitation in people with ankle fracture up to the short-term follow-up. More difficult items may need to be added to improve the responsiveness of the scale for longer-term follow-up. Lead author Dr. Chung-Wei Christine Lin is National Health and Medical Research Council Postdoctoral Research Fellow in the Musculoskeletal Division at the George Institute for International Health at the University of Sydney in New South Wales, Australia. Next, evaluation of an item bank for a computerized adaptive test of activity in children with cerebral palsy by Dr. Stephen Haley, Maria Fergala-Pinkham, Helene Dumas, Dr. Peng-Sheng Ni, George Gorton, Dr. Kyle Watson, Kathleen Montpetit, Nathalie Biladeau, Dr. Ronald Hambleton, and Dr. Carol Tucker. Contemporary clinical assessments of activity are needed across the age span for children with cerebral palsy. Computerized adaptive testing, or CAT, has the potential to efficiently administer items for children across wide age spans and functional levels. This was a cross-sectional item calibration study. Its objective was to examine the psychometric properties of a new item bank and simulated computerized adaptive testing to assess activity level abilities in children with cerebral palsy. The convenience sample consisted of 308 children and youth with cerebral palsy aged 2 to 20 years who were recruited from four pediatric hospitals. The researchers collected parent report data on an initial set of 45 activity items. Using an item response theory approach, the researchers compared estimated scores from the activity item bank with concurrent instruments, examined discriminant validity, and developed computer simulations of a CAT algorithm with multiple stop rules to evaluate scale coverage, score agreement with CAT algorithms, and discriminant and concurrent validity. Confirmatory factor analysis supported scale unidimensionality 
local item dependence, and invariance. Scores from the computer simulations of the prototype CATs with varying stop rules were consistent with scores from the full item bank. The activity summary scores discriminated across levels of upper extremity and gross motor severity. The activity summary scores were correlated with the physical function and sports subscale of the pediatric outcomes data collection instrument, the functional independence measure for children, and the pediatric quality of life inventory cerebral palsy version. The first limitation of the study was that the sample size was small for such item response theory item banks and computerized adaptive testing development studies. Another limitation was oversampling of children with cerebral palsy at higher functioning levels. The new activity item bank appears to have promise for use in a computerized adaptive testing application for the assessment of activity abilities in children with cerebral palsy across a wide age range and different levels of motor severity. Lead author Dr. Stephen Haley is Associate Director of the Health and Disability Research Institute in the School of Public Health at Boston University in Boston, Massachusetts. Finally, a case report. Training of walking skills over ground and on the treadmill. Case series on individuals with incomplete spinal cord injury. By Kristen Musselman, Dr. Kareem Fuad, Dr. John Mishashek, and Dr. Janie Yang. Walking in the home and community is an important goal for individuals with incomplete spinal cord injury. Walking in the community requires various skills, such as negotiating curbs, doors, and uneven terrain. This case report describes the use of skill training, a method to retrain walking overground that is intensive, variable, and relevant to daily walking. The aims of this case series were to determine the effectiveness of skill training in a small group of people with incomplete spinal cord injury and to compare skill training with body weight supported treadmill training in the same individuals. Four individuals who were a median of 2.7 years after an incomplete spinal cord injury participated in alternating phases of intervention. Each phase was three months long. All patients started with body weight supported treadmill training. Two patients subsequently engaged in skill training, while the other two patients engaged in body weight supported treadmill training, after which a third phase of intervention opposite to the second phase was repeated. The following measures were administered before training, monthly throughout training, and three months after training. The modified Emory Functional Ambulation Profile, the 10-meter walk test, the 6-minute walk test, the Berg Balance Scale, and the Activity-Specific Balance Confidence Scale. Overall improvements in walking speed met or exceeded the minimal clinically important difference for individuals with incomplete spinal cord injury particularly during the skill training phase. Walking endurance, obstacle clearance, and stair climbing also improved with both types of intervention. Three of the four patients had retained their gains at follow-up. Thus, the findings suggest that skill training was effective in this small group of individuals. An invited commentary on this article by Dr. Andrea Behrman is available both in print and online. Lead author Kristen Musselman is a Ph.D. candidate in the Faculty of Rehabilitation Medicine at the University of Alberta in Edmonton, Alberta, Canada. Thanks for listening. This is a production of Science Audio. 
online at www.scienceaudio.net. We always welcome your feedback. Email ptj at scienceaudio.net or leave a voicemail at 626-593-7825.